Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to the Faith Radio Network. If you haven't done so already, love it if you would subscribe to Mornings with Carmen wherever you get your podcast. That would be awesome. Become a missionary of the ministry by passing along to others what you get here that you think is good and worthwhile and maybe use it to foment conversations with others uh, in the hours and the days and the weeks to come. That would be awesome. Hey, don't forget to visit us at MyFaithRadio.com and sign up today if you haven't done so already for our May Max Lucado book giveaway. Um, So that's going on right now. You can uh, see what the Holy Land might have looked like through Jesus's eyes. Um, The book is In the Footsteps of the Savior. We're giving away one copy every day during the month of May. So you can register to win today at MyFaithRadio.com. And yeah, you only have to enter once and then you're entered every day. So you don't have to enter every day. That would be exhausting. So just uh, come once, MyFaithRadio.com and uh, yeah, enter. That'd be great. Prayers arising this morning. Thank you for those of you on the text line who um, have seen and therefore raised your concerns related to Tim Keller. Um, his family has uh, posted on social media that he's he's back home. Um, but with hospice care. And so we talk about the difference between, you know, death being imminent, which it is for all of us, and um, and then sort of the sobriety of recognizing that it's drawing quite near. And so, um, you know, be praying for the Keller family today, those who have been touched by Tim's ministry in so many ways. Let's be grateful to God for this life of this brother, um, given given over and over and over again, poured out in so many ways over such a long period of time um, with a blessing to so many. Um, you know, I'm praying that God would, in his grace, if now's the time, you know, take him home. Um, and so grateful for the time that God has given since his cancer diagnosis, um, God's given really a great gift of of time to Tim and um, and to Kathy and to their family. And so, uh, and Tim has used that so well. Like he kept writing throughout, you know, the whole experience. And we've been able to talk with him about some of those reflections, you know, right here on the show. So, so thankful today for our brother Tim. And um, let's be speaking well, not only uh, after people die, but let's be speaking well of them um, in the days in which we live. There are things going on in the culture which make no sense. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and acknowledge and recognize that today. We briefly talked with uh, Dan DeWitt at the end of the last hour about how hard it is to make sense of the nonsense in the culture today. And so, um, you know, you're going to hear these kinds of things out there. Adidas, which you will 
recognized as an athletic wear company. Adidas is now using men to model female swimsuits in much the same way that Nike um, has teamed up with, you know, transgender influencer to promote its sports bras. Men modeling women's undergarments and men modeling women's swimwear makes no sense. It makes no sense. It's nonsense. And we can say that out loud. Um, We can say it uh, in a way that speaks the truth uh, into a culture that um, in many ways makes no sense. God gave us a mind and God gave us, uh, God gives us the Holy Spirit that we might use our minds in ways to not only discern the, the truth, but to honor him. So let's honor God today with our minds. Um, let's point out falsehood where, where it exists. And let's think about what we're thinking about. Let's think about how we're thinking about what we're thinking about. Let's think about why we're thinking, how we're thinking about what we're thinking about. Yeah. When you talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how, like apply that to your mind. Who am I thinking about? What am I thinking about? Um, how am I thinking about who and what I'm thinking about? Um, and then why? Why? Like what, what is the worldview? What is the, what is the truth or the lie behind what I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about? Yeah, I'm sure I could have said that better, but I think you get the point. Let's set our minds on the things which are above where Christ is, Colossians 3, 2. Let's set our mind, um, let's choose to think about the things of Christ and allow that to influence um, who we are and what we do. What is your mind set on today? What is your mind set? Um, yeah, let's actually cultivate the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, and let's determine to set our minds today and keep them set on Christ. Adam Holtz is going to join us next from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We're going to talk about what's happening on the big and the small screen. So what's on your viewfinder today? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Adam Holtz is back from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Good morning, friend. Good morning, Carmen. How are you today? I'm, I am well. Um, you will appreciate that uh, Dan DeWitt, who was here um, earlier, uh, shared his own very positive review of Guardians of the Galaxy, whatever the new one oh, is. Good. So there you go. I know. I know. <laughs> people are out, people are out uh, making, making Christian comment about uh, the things that are out there on the big and the small screen. Um, let's talk about small screens here for just a moment. We are, yeah. maybe this is not surprising to people, but the earlier that kids get smartphones, the worse their mental health. Yeah, you know, that's the story, right? We continue to have new social science that comes out that is reinforcing this correlation. And of course, if, you, if you're a, a student of social science at all, you know that airtight causation is difficult to prove, uh, but this new study by Sapiens Lab, which is a nonprofit research foundation, uh, looked into this again and just you know said what what is the correlation? And they found pretty clearly that since 2012, and 2012 was really an inflection point in our culture because that's the point at which smartphone usage hit 50% uh, among teens. Since then people's social or people's mental health has just kind of fallen off a cliff 
but it has been by far the worst for younger users. And I think that um, there are two things going on here, and they looked at a ton of, of very detailed correlations uh, you know, in terms of their mood, their outlook, their social sense of who they are, their mind-body connection, uh, you know, their cognition. These are just some of the categories that they evaluated among different age groups. But I think, you know, two things are clear. Uh, you know, when you're an adolescent, your identity is just forming, right? And um, we can all remember the insecurities and the difficult moments that we probably had in junior high and high school. Um, but, you know, kids are, are by nature comparative beasts. We're always at that age comparing ourselves to somebody else. And social media is kind of the perfect storm of, uh, of comparing ourselves to others. And so uh, I think you've got that. And then you've got minds, brains that are still developing. And so if you get hooked on, um, you know, all of the different things that social media can do to your brain early on, I don't think it's a surprise here that we're seeing these correlations. I am heartened by the fact that I think that we're beginning to have a more robust conversation in our culture about, you know, is this stuff appropriate for, for young users? And I think the answer is a clear no, but putting the genie back in the bottle is not an easy thing, either culturally or, or even in our families. Okay, can you um, answer me this, <clears throat> answer man? Yeah, uh, maybe, um, probably. <laughs> all right, so um, I have parents of uh, tweens and teens in view when I ask this question. Um, yes. Is there any way to actually know what our kids are doing on social media or on apps? I mean, is there any way to actually know? I mean, other than asking them and hoping that they're honest right. with us, like, can you can you really know? Not really. Um, I mean, I think that you can install any number of, of filtering um, programs that theoretically provide a certain level of protection against explicit imagery uh, and content that is sort of beyond the pale harmful. Um, but, but I think even that filtering, the, the potential dark side of that is it gives you a false sense of security. And I think Right now, we're at a time where I think that we need to be engaging really significantly with our kids and helping them to ask and answer those worldview questions. We've got to be teaching them to think for themselves, to discern for themselves, uh, and to, you know, to be encouraging a life and a lifestyle and a family culture. It's more than a lifestyle, um, but in encouraging a culture where our worldview and our point of view is, is deeply informed and even saturated by scripture. So, you know, I think of, of what Paul had to say in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Man, that passage has never been more applicable than it is right now. So I don't think there's a silver bullet, but I do think it really, uh, it behooves us as parents to be in relationship and I think that we want to play a role where we're not just policemen, but, you know, mm -hmm. using this as an opportunity to say, hey, what have you seen this week that was really funny? What did you like? What are you drawn to? Not as prosecutorial gotcha questions so we can bust our kids, but as a window into what they're interested in so that we can understand who they are a little bit more. And I'll also say 
the longer you can wait before getting your kids a smartphone and before giving them social media access, the better, because it's really difficult to do that sort of, you know, behind the enemy lines action once you realize, oh, man, I wish we hadn't gone down this path. And uh, it's hard to wait. Your kids will push hard. They'll say they're the only ones uh, that don't have this. And they might be. And to some extent, that may be a valid concern. You know, we want them to be able to to connect with their friends. But um, we also want to protect them. So it's hard, Carmen. I know that's a, that's a lengthy answer to your question, but that's what I have to say on it. Yeah, no, I appreciate the really practical questions. What did you see this week that you, you know, you thought was really funny or um, I don't know. What did you add to your playlist this week on YouTube? Like, yeah, you know, totally. who are you? That's a great question. You, like, right. Um, um, who are you listening to that you find interesting? I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And um, I think looking yeah. for places that we, where we can enter into our kids entertainment world with them, then it's just not, oh, mom and dad are the big bad guy, but we can actually enjoy something together. And so I don't think technology and screens have to be all bad. I mean, certainly there are tons of things there that we want to be aware of and cognizant of and really being careful to draw boundaries around. But I think there can be an opportunity for shared experience here, too, that that gives us some, you know, some credit in the bank when we have to do the hard no. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, As opposed to just saying no all the time. Yeah. And then and then I think, you know, let it be a real, real relationship. Um, Yeah. And share with them the things you're finding funny and the things you're, you know, you've added to your YouTube playlist and the things you're, the people you're listening to that you find interesting. Like, you know, like win the right to introduce them to things you're watching and listening to. All right, Adam, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about AM radio. Congress has introduced a bipartisan bill to protect AM radio on your dashboard. Is AM radio dying? Should we care? Adam Holtz is going to weigh in next from Focus on the Families Plugged In. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. AM radio rules. That's uh, that's just going to be my take on this whole thing. Adam Holtz, what's going on uh, with threats to our ability to listen to AM radio? Well, there are a number of of automobile manufacturers who are increasingly focused on creating electric vehicles. And you wouldn't think that there would necessarily be a correlation between that and AM radio availability. But apparently there are some technical difficulties in which the electrical motors that they use at wheels, you know, create RF radio frequency interference. And Frankly, if you've ever had an old car, sometimes when you rev up the engine, you'll hear that high-pitched whine, right? I mean, I radio frequency interference is a thing. It's real. So 
but I think that you have these automobile manufacturers, and it is a growing list. Ford just announced that a number of its new cars will not have AM radio, uh, and they're joining a whole long list of other manufacturers, uh, a lot of them European and Japanese, and I don't know what the AM radio situation is in those places, but uh, they are, are saying, you know what, we're uh, we're not going to include this anymore. Just like, you know, if you buy a new car today, it's rare to find one that plays, even has a CD player. Now AM radio is is the next potential technological casualty to the, you know, the ever onward march of technology. But as you mentioned, we've got people in Congress who are saying, okay, wait a minute, time out. AM radio is not just a preference. It's not just, you know, something that we like to have because we listened in our grandfather's tractor like I did when I was growing up in Iowa. Um, it is actually an important part of public broadcasting uh, that keeps people aware of disasters, keeps people aware of, of really basic and important news. And so there is a move afoot to require automobile makers to to include this, uh, and we'll have to see. Uh, and I'm of two minds on this, Carmen. I actually, I don't listen to much AM radio. Usually I, you know, if I want to listen to a football game, sometimes I'll listen to the Broncos um, on AM radio, and that's about it. Every now and then, maybe a little bit of talk radio. Um, but I also have that nostalgic connection with it because my, my parents and grandparents listen, and it remains hugely important, 82 million monthly listeners, uh, but 25% of those are over the age of 65. So this is definitely a medium that skews older. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how this conversation goes, but I think I'm thankful that there is a bipartisan effort in Congress to protect it. You know, I think conservatives are interested in people having that availability to talk radio, which leans heavily conservative. Uh, and Democrats have more of a public safety interest in mind. And I'm, I'm generalizing here some of the stuff that I've read about this, but uh, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm, I'm noting um, that the BBC has been um, systematically uh, reducing its radio footprint around the world and that um, they have eliminated um, programming in 10 languages, including Arabic, wow. Persian, Chinese, Hindi. Um, so there's a cost-cutting measure for the BBC. They're moving yeah. more toward video, um, yeah. video platforms, online platforms. But the BBC shutting down um, hundreds of affiliate stations around the world. Um, and yeah. that's... Um, that's significant. I mean, you know, you say you talk about, uh, yeah, you talk about the footprint of AM radio here, but around the world in rural areas um, and in foreign languages, AM programming is, is what is, is what has been out there. And now right. it's just not. So, yeah. Right. And we didn't even talk about religious programming. Obviously right. there is a ton, both in the United States and especially overseas, you know, religious programming has played a huge role in spreading the gospel. Um, and, you know, one of the other arguments that car makers are making is that, well, people can find the equivalent being streamed online. But the pushback on that is, A, not every AM radio has a simulcast that somebody can get a hold of online in real time if they want to. And B, because 
AM radio's audience does skew older, some of those folks may not even know that that option exists or know how to access it. You know, Um, I think my in-laws probably who are in their 80s probably would not know how to do that, but they listen to AM radio. Right. Uh, So there are a lot of there are a lot of implications, both nationally and internationally here, Carmen. All right. If you're listening right now, uh, I'd love to know how do you think your life would be impacted if um, if AM radio disappeared? Mm -hmm. If you're listening right now on any of our AM affiliates, um, you're saying to yourself, I better download the Faith Radio app. No, no, no. We're not. We're not going. (laughs) We're not going anywhere. Uh, I have no reason uh, to imagine that if you're listening to us on AM radio, uh, it's not that the AM signals are going to go away. It's that your ability to capture that AM signal in your car, that's what is at this point, you know, going away. Um, So there used to be the ability to listen to AM radio in every vehicle. That is no longer true. And so the the conversation is less about who's going to keep um, producing AM programming and broadcasting on AM signals and more about how are you going to access um, that media over that medium. So, Adam, we got to leave it right there. There are obviously Great. reviews up at PluggedIn.com. You can check out FastX and Hypnotic. Um, Adam, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We love talking with you. Thanks, Carmen. Check out what they're doing over at PluggedIn.com. we got to take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Twenty-four fourteen. Twenty-four fourteen. Two thousand four hundred fourteen. No, that is not my projection about the year in which the world will come to an end. 2414 is the number of people in America for whom, in all practical ways, the world has already ended. 2414 is the current number, 2414, the current number of men and women on death row in America today. 2414. People. Persons. Crime and punishment and the death penalty and incarceration for life without parole, like um, complicated topics. Persons who are incarcerated for even the most hideous of crimes do not cease to be persons. They do not cease to be people created in God's image, people who God sees and loves and desires to redeem some of whom have come to know Christ and who are our brothers and sisters in prison for life or until the state brings their life to an end through execution. Death row. Death row. Who are these 2,414 people? What do they think about? Who's going to see them? Jesus puts visiting those who are in prison on the list of how the sheep and the goats are going to be divided at the judgment. Have you been to visit someone not just in prison, but on death row? Dewey Williams has, and he joins us next to share his story. (music) 
Pastor Dewey Williams is joining us now. Dewey, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It's so good to be with you today. Good morning. It is, um, it's a blessing to have the opportunity to talk with you. If you're listening right now, you can find Dewey and his book, Finding Joy on Death Row, at findingjoyondeathrow.org. Um, Dewey, let's let's just start here. Why write a book about a place no one wants to go and about and with people that most of us would honestly rather not think much about? Well, this was... Uh, writing the book was not something that I purposed to do. I was pursuing joy in my life, and God directed me to death row. And mm-hmm. there on death row, as I was pursuing joy, I found joy through the men and women on death row and their testimonies that they shared into my life. I preached to them, and I gave them my best and my all. I won an award for my sermons on death row at, at Yale, of all places, you know, and, and I was invited to Yale to present my work that I did there. And coming out of my presentation, a man said, this needs to be a book. And uh, that's kind of what generated the whole thing. I went back to do some more work with the men on death row, and I had the men start writing about my sermons And the moment I read what they wrote, I said, somebody else besides me needs to read what these men are writing about joy in their life. And so that's kind of how it all got started and got going. And I've just been so deeply impacted by this experience. I, I wanted to share it. I wanted to share the men and women's stories. And I wanted to share what happened in my life also. So that's the genesis of how this all got going. Well, it 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 has been achieved. Um, it you have accomplished what the Lord set out uh, to create um, through your testimony and through your faithfulness in not only going to visit, but in this beautiful way that you have invited the men and women on death row to reflect on some very specific questions, but also on you know like what God was teaching them and leading them um, to understand about themselves and others um, and life itself through an interaction with the Word of God, which you brought to them through sermons. And so these handwritten letters that are scattered throughout the book, and again, I'm just going to remind everybody who's listening, we're talking with Pastor Dewey Williams. The book is Finding Joy on Death Row, Unexpected Lessons from Lives We Discarded, um, findingjoyondeathrow.org. Dewey, these... um, these handwritten letters that are scattered throughout the book, they um, they tell the story. Like you tell the story <laughs> throughout, but these um, the handwritten letters, the handwriting, like it's so personal to have these handwritten letters throughout the book. Um, part of your visit includes this process. Can you just talk about like the the process of having the opportunity to reflect and write down and share your thoughts about something as, as itself, this like dignifying redemptive act. Well, you know, the process, this was very uh, lengthy process. I've been involved with this for a few years and, and getting all this going. And, and it all started with me being low, me being emotionally and kind of spiritually drained or tapped 
And and in a way, God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, I, can you go uh, preach on death row? You know, it wasn't something I was pursuing. It wasn't something I said, oh, I got to go preach on death row. It It's something that came to me. And I think that's because I was pursuing jo- joy. And I did not really understand it all at the time. You know, my first thought I was preaching, everything I was doing was about joy that because I'm, I'm, I was searching for joy. And so I'm searching for joy and I get invited to preach on death row. And I, my first thought was, what do you preach about joy on death row? You know, how does that fit? How does that mix together? But I did it. I went and I preached about joy. And, and so the whole process of then going back and having them write in small groups, I went back and they'd be in groups of two to four of them, and they would write about my sermons. And we, you know, I'd give them like 15 minutes to kind of do some writing. And then we'd sit down in the group of two to four men with myself and, and talk about what they wrote and, and get them to open up to one another and to me and to share. It was just such an impactful experience for me that it changed me joy as I, you know, as I wasn't feeling the joy really in my life through this experience, the joy became alive and vital and important. And God took me to a place where you normally don't even think joy will be. And that's where God showed me joy. And so, you know, that's kind of the message of the book, even in the low places in our life, God will reach us and God will provide us joy in the places where we we would least expect it. Um, Dewey, I want to um, I want to take you where you where you take us personally, because I'm sure that there are folks listening right now wondering, well, why was Dewey so low? Why was Dewey wandering around in the darkness? Why did Dewey need to um, pursue joy? So your own story is a part of this story. Um, you experienced the murder of your own father at the hands of your sister. Um, you you describe how that act of violence brought a deep darkness, like this shadow into your life. Um, and another experience of, um, of death, you know, brought the darkness um, invading again. Can you tell us how entering into the lives of men and women on death row, like how that brought light into your life and, um, and really restored your joy? Like, was there a... Um, was there a process there that you can point to or a moment that you can say, you know what, that's kind of when the light started to come back on? Yeah, I was uh, my very first day being on death row. I was with a group of volunteers and we were there ministering to the men on death row. And uh, I was sitting there kind of kicking myself in the butt because I wasn't where I wanted to be in ministry. I wasn't doing what I wanted to do in ministry. And so internally, I wasn't saying this to anybody, but internally I was kicking myself. And I sat at a table with the man. We had a break, man on death row. And he leaned over toward me and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I'm not on death row. I'm on life row. And I'm going to live my life the very best I can every day. And here I was kicking myself because I wasn't where I wanted to be. And here's a man on death row teaching me that life is more than really being where I want to be. It's about making the best of the life that God gives us. He had decided he was going to make the best of his life 
through God the best way he could. No, he did not. He doesn't want to be on death row, but that's where he is. But he's going to give his life to the Lord and live it in glory and honor the best way he can. And so I left that experience transformed, saying, if that man can find joy, if that man can have this sense of a reality of what God can do, how dare I kick myself because I'm not where I want to be? How dare I question God about what God is doing? I need to say I'm on life row and I'm going to live my life the best way I can. That man taught me a lesson that day, my very first day on death row. And that was a transformative moment in my life. It's just, it's extraordinary. Um, the book is so good, you guys. It's a window into Dewey's life and experience and his transformation. It's also just this incredible window into um, the lives of the men and women on death row that Dewey has had the privilege of spending time with. Um, and so we're going to continue our conversation with Dewey Williams here in just a moment. The book is Finding Joy on Death Row, Unexpected Lessons from Lives We Discarded. You can find it and Dewey at findingjoyondeathrow.org. We'll be right back. When we talk about the walk of faith or walking by faith or taking each step of life with the good shepherd, we imagine ourselves as sheep walking with him. Or maybe we see ourselves in the disciples with Jesus walking from town to town throughout the land we call holy. Every Christian wants to walk where Jesus walked, but not everyone's going to get to go to Israel. So if you want to see the holy land the way it might have looked through the eyes of Jesus, take a journey with Max Lucado. We're giving away a copy of his new book, In the Footsteps of the Savior, every day in May. Thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You can enter to win on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. It's the every day in May giveaway, so enter today at MyFaithRadio.com. We're continuing our conversation with Pastor Dewey Williams. The book is Finding Joy on Death Row. Dewey, um, I confess I was um, I was surprised as I read um, the accounts of your visits that, um, I mean, you seem to be able to share time and space in, you know, in what I would describe as a very high contact way. Like it's, um, like you're in there. Um, you are sp- sharing space and tape space and place and uh, and even food, like with people on death row, it, that far exceeds their access, the access that they have to their own family members. Um, I'm thinking here of the way William Gregory um, talks about not being able to touch his family for 23 years. Um, yeah. Talk about how spending time with these brothers and sisters like has opened your eyes to what I will just describe as the very simple freedom of eating fried chicken um, or walking barefoot in the grass or hugging a child or holding your wife? Like, how has spending time with folks on death row really opened your eyes to the simple freedoms those of us on the outside enjoy every day? Yeah, it has been a, a, a very impactful journey for me because I, I get, I've been able to experience them up close and in person Prison is a very different place, and uh, and there are a lot of rules and regulations in prison. And some of the rules and regulations are you there. There is no hugging. It's against the rules to hug. 
uh, someone that's incarcerated because, you know, there's just been a, a lot of problems with contact with those that are incarcerated. And and I know one man who uh, became overjoyed, one man, uh, one uh, incarcerated man accepted Jesus as his savior. And this volunteer went up and put his arms around and gave him a big Christian hug. Well, that man that gave the Christian hug was suspended and could not do service any longer. And he was just spontaneously out of the joy of Jesus Christ, giving this man a hug. But those type of rules exist in prison where the all I can really do in terms of physical contact is a handshake or a fist bump. But it's so good to be able to be up close to sit around a table. Uh, and, you know, we ha often have snacks. Uh, and when, when I did have one reunion with the women that are on death row, I did take some chicken and we were able to share a meal and have some chicken and chips and pastries and drinks. And it's it's really humanizing. Mm -hmm. They feel human. And the food in prison is terrible. It's horrible. It's and I'm not saying prisoners deserve to have, you know, five course meals, but they typically get some of the worst food that you're ever going to eat. And so when you bring some cookies in or you bring some chicken in, you are seen as somebody that has brought a gift from heaven above into the into their presence because they get some real food. And so there's there's kind of a joy in sitting around and talking and mingling. And one thing I've tried to do with every visit I make is to humanize these people mm -hmm. that have been incarcerated for uh you know and sentenced for doing things that we think are horrible and terrible uh but god has reached into them and god has sent me there and so i i, I just continue to try to give a human message uh, of uh, life and hope and joy to them and in return they are they are a blessing because they are a community of believers i preach to a, a community of people that believe in jesus christ mm -hmm. as savior and so there in the middle of death row there's this group of men that gather and support one another the same way the church should be doing that's in our community the churches that we go to that's the same thing that happens with these men so i treat them with dignity and respect and try to give them a look to heaven uh, right there in the midst of a place that's all about kind of hell uh hell on earth and so that's a, a charge that I kind of take and, and give there on death row. When I think about the letters that we have in the New Testament that are written from prison, when I think about um, the incarceration of Christians around the world right now, specifically because of their faith, people who are, um, you know, they are in prison because of their faith. What you're describing is people who um, are physically in prison but while in prison have been liberated by God through the gospel in ways that um, many people who are walking around in the freedom of the world don't experience. And you're pastoring this church that is in not only in prison, but of people who are on death row. I'm wondering, Dewey, if as a pastoral act today, you might um, speak to at least one person who I know listens regularly. Um, he was 17 when um, he committed a crime for which he is now um, incarcerated for life without the possibility of parole. 
Um, and I'm wondering if you could speak a word of encouragement into his life right now. Um, you know how to do this better than any of the rest of us. His name is Michael, and he is a Christian, um, and he's been in prison now for 30 years, and, um, you know, he's likely going to be there and, you know, for the rest of his natural life. Um, could you speak to him? Well, you know, like I don't know Michael, I don't know his particulars and the situation, but I do know God, and I mm. do know that God made Michael, and God has made you, Michael, for this time and this season. You may not be where you want to be. I wasn't where I wanted to be, but I am here to declare to you, Michael, God has hope for you. God has work for you. God has opportunities for you. And that you are in the place that you are to be a light, a light of the hope of Jesus Christ. Somebody needs you, Michael. Somebody needs you in that community, incarcerated community. Somebody needs to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And God has placed you there to be a witness and to share that good news with somebody. And there's no telling how far that good news that you share will go. You may not get out, but somebody that will hear the good news may get out and they'll tell their family, their friends, their communities. They may tell the whole world. They may get on a radio program like this and broadcast the news across the nation or around the world. There's no telling how far the good news that you have within you will go. You just have have to share it and share it and share it and God will bless you for it. There's a man on death row. He is known as his name. He's in the book. He's Alden. Everybody talks about how Alden shares the gospel with everybody. He's the biggest encourager on death row. And many of the men that come and worship are there because all Alden wouldn't stop telling them you ought to come on to church. You ought to come and worship. You ought to give God some glory. And because of that, his testimony is reached out in my book and is reaching to you, Michael, and your mm -hmm. testimony can do the same. I pray for you and I lift you up and I just ask that God use you and that God continue to use you day by day. God bless you and keep going, Michael. Don't give up on what God has in you. Dewey, what? Um, thank you. And what a delight to have the opportunity to talk with you today. Um, I would ask that you would pass along our gratitude to all of the co-authors of this book, the men and women um, whose letters are included um, in here, the men and women whose stories are included in here. Please tell them um, that we see them, we hear them, we've been ministered to by them. We appreciate the contributions that they have made to this book. Um, so thank you so much, Dewey, for for sharing this story. The book is Finding Joy on Death Row, Unexpected Lessons from Lives We Discarded. You can find uh, Dewey Williams and the book at findingjoyondeathrow.org. Dewey, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, uh, let this be follow him Friday for you in your life. As you walk your faith out into the world that God so loves, I want you to count it as a blessing that you have the freedom to walk your faith out anywhere. How are you going to walk your faith out today, wherever you are, even if you are 
um, somewhere you don't want to be. What does it look like to give God the glory wherever we are in whatever circumstance of life we find ourselves? What does it look like to shine light in darkness, no matter how dark the darkness is? Can you do that today? Can you go be shiny? I'm going to pray for you. I trust you're going to pray for me. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.